as a church, we are working our way through the book of James. In order to better understand James's letter, it's important to know some context. So before we get to today's text, I'm going to refresh our memories a bit. James is slightly different to some of the other New Testament letters. And to understand why James is writing as he is, we need to know who he was, where he was, and when he was writing. James was a leader of the church in Jerusalem and was a highly respected man. He was writing this letter to Jewish Christians in the early church who had been and were being persecuted. Reading in Acts about the early church in Jerusalem, we are told how Stephen was stoned to death after expressing his beliefs that Jesus was the Messiah, and how there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And this persecution was probably only a part of the trials that the early Jewish believers were facing. So when James wrote about trials leading to spiritual maturity at the start of the chapter, which Arno preached about a few weeks ago, he was writing to an audience who were in the thick of it. James writes to these scattered believers about trials and then temptations and their attitude and responses to both. He encourages them not to be deceived and reminds them that every good and perfect gift is from above. And that builds us up to today's passage. So let's read together now from James 1 verse 19 to 22. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not only hearers, deceiving yourselves. From verse 19 onwards, James starts laying out things which we should do once we have been saved, to advance our relationship with God, our Father, and to become more Christ-like and be better image bearers for the kingdom. Luke Harper, who preached here a few weeks ago, once illustrated this concept in a sermon years ago, and it has stuck with me ever since. Before you are saved, your life is headed in a certain direction. Then, when you are saved, your life's course changes direction, but you still have to walk along that path. And James is writing about what should be happening to us while walking on this new path. James is a Christian and he's writing to believers, but he's not focusing on how to become a believer. If you're new to church or just checking things out tonight, I want to emphasize that this passage is not a recipe for our salvation. Our salvation is a gift that was paid for in blood for us, by Christ on the cross. James says it himself in verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. All of the work of our salvation was achieved thanks to God's will and the sacrifice of his son. And as Arno pointed out last week, he is also an unchanging God in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And working on our relationship with him, walking this new path that Luke highlighted all those years ago, requires change from us. 
Our new faith needs to be translated into practical realities if we are to advance along the way of holiness or the path of sanctification. In the ESV, this passage is entitled, Hearing and Doing the Word. And this is what James is talking about in these verses. He is emphasizing some practical and ethical obligations that we should be putting effort into as an outpouring of our belief and out of a desire to grow in relationship with our Father and to glorify Him. A newborn baby's health is immediately judged post-delivery by the APGAR score. This scoring system looks at five clinical criteria which have been determined to give you an idea if the baby is okay. It's not an exhaustive examination by any means, but you can get vital information from it. In a similar way, our faith health as believers can also be judged by things that can be seen. And this doesn't only apply to new believers. The changes that stem from our new birth in Christ grow out of the new heart that God has implanted in us by His power. But these changes are not necessarily automatic or effortless. If they were, the New Testament would be a lot shorter because it wouldn't contain the many exhortations or emphatic urgings to spiritual growth that it does. You see, the interest in James from verse 19 onwards is in the fruits and not the roots. Here, James doesn't focus so much on what Christ has done for us on the cross. Rather, he is addressing the change that should occur in us because of that freely given gift. If you have come to faith in Christ, it is so important for you to cultivate a heart that is receptive to God's word of truth. Before we dig deeper here, I just want to emphasize that we are not alone in this journey. As Paul wrote in Philippians 1 verse 6, we can be confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And we can rest assured that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is with us on the journey. So how do we cultivate a receptive heart? Tonight we're going to look at some good gardening practices. If you have any experience with gardening, you'll know that it can take a lot of work. Our property at home is on a slope and quite near to the bottom of a hill, and the soil conditions vary a lot from place to place in the garden. So the process of gardening in our home usually starts with a lot of research about which plants do better in which soil conditions, which prefer sun or shade, or even this difficult to interpret concept of partial sun. Then once you have the plants or trees, it's time to prepare the soil, pulling out any weeds or invasive roots, and then adding nutrients and fertilizer that the new plant needs. And then you have to stick to the advised watering schedule and sort out any parasites that could potentially affect the health of the plant. And this isn't a once-off either. You have to constantly maintain most plants. You see, gardening is a journey. As our passage for today tells us in verse 21, the Word of God is implanted in us. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would admit that our hearts all need a lot of work to give this implanted Word optimum conditions to grow within us and to change us. 
a lot of soil preparation and a lot of weeding needs to happen in our hearts. Thankfully, the advice James gave these early believers is still so applicable in our lives today. James 1 verse 19 is undoubtedly very wise advice for life. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and be slow to become angry. Christians and non-believers alike would come to a quick consensus that if we all stuck to those principles, the world would be a better place. We have two ears which we cannot close and one mouth that we can. That sounds like something that many parents will have told their children over the years. Larry King, the famous American TV show host, once said, I have never learned anything while I was talking. You see, you learn from listening to others. What about being slow to speak? Well, if you've ever been in an argument where you said something without thinking, you'll know that the consequences are often harmful and hurtful. On the contrary, we read in Proverbs that gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. I'm sure that many of us are part of our local neighborhood WhatsApp groups. They can be so helpful and informative when it comes to crime in the area or, or lost pets. But if you want an insight into the state of your neighborhood, if you want to gauge the boiling point of your community, all you need to do is read the messages on that group that start to trend, that start to gain traction, that a lot of people are commenting on. Probably complaints about load shedding and the power not coming back on when it was promised. And those rubbish reclaimers who make a mess on garbage day. Or that specific streetlight that hasn't been working for three months. The groups are often used as a platform to air anger and frustrations. You might even have been tempted to post James 1 verse 19. Be slow to anger on the group chat as a not so subtle reminder to your neighbours. Or you may have had to say it out loud to yourself before hitting send. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's amazing wisdom for a variety of social situations. But in this passage, I don't think that this is the only context that James was using it in. He also meant that we should be quick to listen to the Word of God. We should be slow to speak against the Word of God and God's servants, and we should be slow to become angry with God. And it's these heart preparation points, these good heart cultivation practices that I want us to look at together tonight. Good gardening point one is be quick to hear or be eager for God's word. In life, who do we listen to? Generally, I think most people would say that it's people whose opinions or thoughts we find valuable. I would hope that for most of us sitting here, God falls into that category. So what did God have to say on the topic? Well, when Jesus was on the mountain and transfigured before the disciples, God spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. There can be no more direct instruction than that. We need to look to the Word of God to the scriptures, to read and learn about the life of Jesus and his teachings, 
to provide nourishment to our heart. We should long for the pure spiritual milk that Peter spoke of, that by it we may grow up into salvation. We read in the Psalms how the word of the Lord is more to be desired than gold and is sweeter than honey. Do we treat the Bible like that? Is it our go-to book in all situations, good or bad? Are you opening up your Bible app on your phone just to keep the street going? Or are you opening the app because you yearn for God's input in your life? What is your heart for God's word, really? As a believer, you should desire to read the word, to listen to biblical preaching of the word, to memorize the word, and most importantly, to try to understand all of its teaching with a view to obedience. We should take on the attitude of Samuel who said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. You may be sitting here tonight wondering, but how God, does God speak to us? God speaks to us all in different ways, but one of the most universally accessible ways is through His Word, the Bible, this amazing resource that has the power to change lives. He may also speak to us during prayer, and should, we should be eagerly listening in our prayer life for His will to be made clear to us. We should be listening for His voice in our quiet time. And he also communicates with us through encouragements and confirmations from our church family. We should be quick to listen to him. We should be eager to listen to his word. Good gardening point two is be slow to speak. This can be thought of in two ways. Firstly, we should be slow to speak against the word of God or to speak against someone who is acting faithfully as a servant of God and sharing the word. Does this mean that we can't ask questions to improve our understanding of the word? No, not at all. But it is a warning to the person who finds excuses or speaks against what is written in the Bible, whether out loud or in their own hearts, when that word challenges them. We should be slow to question the plans and the purposes of God, to question His sovereignty, over our lives. And the second way that we should be slow to speak is as teachers of the word. And this doesn't only apply to preachers or life group leaders, but to all believers, sharing our faith in a work context or on the sports field, when we're just being missional for God in our everyday lives. Consider your words. Take time to think about answers to questions and importantly, try to remove emotion when answering people who challenge your beliefs. There is a famous saying, you can win the argument, but lose the person. Israel Falau is a rugby player from Australia, a very good rugby player who played for the Australian national team. He's also a Christian and over the years has been in some trouble for voicing his beliefs publicly. A few years ago, he posted a verse from Leviticus on Facebook or Twitter, one of his social media accounts. To cut a long story short, after posting it, he was fired by Rugby Australia and stripped of his place in the national team. Shortly after this incident, he released a statement in which he revealed his heart and why he had said what he had said. He said that if someone you know is walking towards a big hole in the ground and they are oblivious that they're going to fall in, 
and seriously injure or kill themselves, wouldn't you do whatever you could to prevent them from falling? After reading his statement, I could definitely understand his motivation, but the way that he delivered the message could have been different. It could have been filled with more grace and love. Sadly, I think that many of us know people who have been hurt by Christians and by the church just because of the way that things were said to them. We read in Ephesians 4, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Later on in James's letter in chapter 3, he writes about taming the tongue. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. In this age of social media, I think that we can all acknowledge the power of words and their effects on people's lives. Never before in history have so many individuals had such a loud voice or such a wide audience. And it feels as if people are unaware of the potential impact of their words. It seems like almost every week that you hear of another young person who has tragically taken their own lives as a result of online bullying. Jesus said in Matthew 12, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let us be slow to speak. Let us be slow to type. Good gardening point three is about being slow to anger. You have to remember that James is writing this passage to persecuted Christians undergoing severe trials. And I imagine there must have been a lot of anger amongst the people that prompted James to start his letter by reminding them that it is not helpful to be angry with God during their trials and that God has a purpose for their trials. Then he goes on to say directly that temptation does not come from God. So it obviously isn't appropriate or good to be angry with God because of temptations in our paths. Our anger with God in certain situations often blinds us to what He is trying to achieve in our lives through those circumstances. Our anger can blind us to our own true heart condition, which may actually be at the root of our situation. Do you ever find yourself getting upset or defensive when challenged by biblical truths that go against the way that you are living? If you speak to a lifeguard, they'll tell you that one of the biggest risks when rescuing someone who is drowning is that you may be injured by the victim or pushed under the water during the rescue. It's not a perfect analogy because it's the person's desperation to survive that causes them to lash out at the lifeguard. But it may actually be our desperation that causes our anger towards God. Our desperation to be free of a trial in our lives whether it be illness, financial stress, work, or relationship issues. When you find yourself in a hole, it's difficult to reconcile the fact that God, the one who has saved us, is still large and in charge. It's difficult to see that your relationship with Him will grow through these trials. In fact, without the reassurance of Scripture 
and our family in Christ, it's almost impossible. And our anger in the situation grows and grows. And it's not only in times of trials. Anger at God often shines a spotlight on where he is in our hierarchy in our lives. When God's plan interferes with my need for control, I get angry. When God's will means that my comfort is affected, I get angry. When God's plan seems to derail my goals or desires, I get angry. We should be slow to be angry with God. But what about anger in another context? Not anger at God's will or God's plan. What about anger at injustice? I'm sure you've heard the term righteous anger a lot. I know that I've said it myself many times. The first caution about righteous anger comes from verse 20 of this very passage. It says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. John Piper said this about being slow to anger. Your anger has got to go through some real serious filters in your soul. It's got to go through the filter of humility and through the filter of patience and through the filter of wisdom and through the filter of love and through the filter of self-control. And if it comes out on the other side, it must be righteous anger. We need to be wary of our anger because the reality is that it often isn't righteous. It often comes from something inside of us, our pride or our selfishness, and we label it as being righteous. But ask yourself, has it passed through all those filters? Our anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. I'm not saying that anger is a sin, but it is a very dangerous emotion, often closely linked to sin or leading us to sin. And the reality is that we are not often able to manage anger well and not sin as a consequence of our anger. Good gardening point four is put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. We have active weeding to do in our hearts to put away all the filth and sin in us. As Anna said a few weeks ago, be killing sin or sin be killing you. The battle against sin in our lives is one that requires constant vigilance and quick action. I found that image of sin starting off as a sapling and developing into an oak so helpful. We need to weed out those sin saplings in our lives before they become immovable oaks. We read in Hebrews 12 verse 1, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Our sin is holding us back from the true potential of our relationship with our Father. It is weighing us down and we have to make every effort to unload it. It's like a scuba diver who has weights attached to them so that they can stay at the correct depth underwater. Well, imagine now that God is on the surface and he's calling you to him. And Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, has bought you access to be with him. And you can go and you can be in a relationship with him. You could swim your way to the surface with that weight belt still on with your sins weighing you down, or you can choose to be active. In fact, you should desire to cut loose those weights 
to get to your Father. Let us put away all filthiness. And the last point, gardening point five, receive with meekness the implanted word. This amazing relationship with our Father was paid for by Jesus on the cross. We know that as fallible, sinful humans, we aren't worthy. But Jesus changed all of that. A father who would give us that, who would sacrifice his only son, a father who only gives good gifts, has now implanted his word in us. Let us be humble and thankful and receive that word with open arms, not with arguments and conditions. That work on the cross bought our salvation. But now is the time to get to some active gardening, to cultivate our hearts for our relationship with our loving Father. Proverbs tells us to watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. We have to prepare the soil with the nutrients that are needed, with eagerness for the word and a willingness to listen to God speaking into our lives. We have to do away with the weeds and the roots that threaten our heart's condition. We have to be slow to speak against the word of God in our lives and slow to become angry with our Lord for the trials and temptations and situations before us. We have to actively remove the sin, remove the filth and the wickedness in our lives, which is preventing our relationship with our Father from growing. And we have to receive this amazing gift, the gift of His Word, with humbleness and gratitude. We're going to share in communion together now. This passage today was was filled with a lot of verbs, with a lot of doing words. And as we share in communion together, I want to draw your attention to another verb. Remember. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. These fruits, these actions in heart cultivation that we looked at tonight are the physical evidence of the growth of the implanted word in our hearts. A word that we were only made worthy of receiving because of the actions of Jesus because of his death on the cross and his resurrection and his defeat of sin. By his grace, we can enter into the Holy of Holies. We can enter into a relationship with God our Father. What an amazing gift he has given us. Let's take a moment now to remember that as we eat and drink together.